It is so good to be here. I am one of the pastors now. That's so awesome. Um, and I'm learning so many things. So um, I found out in the staff meeting today that you guys have for a long time been using the New American Standard, which is what I've been using my entire time in ministry. But I thought you used the ESV here because <laughs> that's what was used every time I came. So um, anyway, I'm learning all these really cool new things. I have one request of you. Um, and that is, uh, this, this would be a great gift that you could give me, is if you would take your picture and send it to me in an email with uh, your name and, and your contact info and something that I could pray for you about. That would be a huge gift to me because I really want to get to know everybody and that would help give me a jump start. So if you really want to do something nice for me, that is something that you could do. You know, what, a, what an amazing privilege for us to be welcomed into this church family. Um, you know, to have to vote people in, it's interesting. Um, wouldn't it be nice if you could go to your neighbors and vote them into the church? Just say, hey. <laughs> We like you. We'd like you to come to the church. We're going to vote you in. But for whatever reason, well, not for whatever reason, obviously that needed to happen for our family. But we are so glad that you guys welcomed us in to be a part of your church family. Just a, a couple of logistical things for us. Jackson graduates in, um, at the end of May. And so we're not going to actually move here until May. So we're going to be going back and forth. And so, you know, just, just for a couple months. But you guys could be praying for us and all that. But just know we are really looking forward to getting here and living close and being here all the time. So anyway, that, uh, that's that part. Um, Hebrews, what an amazing book. I was just thinking every time I preach a book, I think this is so good. We should go through the whole thing in detail. And we obviously cannot do that uh, with the book of Hebrews um, at the rate we're going. So, um, but I will encourage you in this way. You can read the book and you could read it this week and just allow God to speak to you in it. The writer of Hebrews, this is an amazing thing. The writer of Hebrews either alludes to or refers to or quotes from 25 of the 50 chapters in Genesis. I mean, this person who wrote Hebrews knew the Old Testament so well. Not only that, but he does the same thing. He either refers to or quotes from or alludes to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, 20 Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Habakkuk, Haggai, and Zechariah. Can you believe that? In this book, all that is referred to. Just amazing. And just so you know, that's why people think Apollos wrote the book. Because it says in Acts 18.24, Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus, and he was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. And he was so prominent and just so well-known that Apollos, in 1 Corinthians, when the Corinthian church is fighting over who they, who they want to identify with, Apollos is named with some pretty significant people. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 1.12 says, uh, what I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. That's the list that he's put in. So I think to myself, maybe he wrote this, but uh, like the video said, nobody knows. This letter is written kind of like a sermon. 
more than a letter. It's, it's written as a sermon, and it is an amazing, powerful book. And I think that it is especially timely as we head into this Easter season where we're going to celebrate the resurrection of Christ. And so this morning, I'm not going to go over the things that were mentioned in the video, but I want to point out three really important qualities of Jesus, things that are true about Jesus that should impact the way we approach everything in our life. And so those three things, I'll just tell you what they are. The the three things are first that Jesus is the very nature of the almighty God. The second thing, which is so important, is that Jesus is the God-man. And that means that he is our merciful Savior. And then the other thing that you see in the book of Hebrews related to Jesus is that he is a holy, righteous judge. And that is a sobering reality. And one of the things that I think about is when we put those things together, they really make us appreciate who Jesus is. Because when you understand that Jesus is God and you understand that he is a holy, righteous judge, that brings so much power to the fact that Jesus is a merciful Savior who comes to our rescue. And so that's where we're headed this morning. The book of Hebrews talks about how Jesus is better. Uh, It just goes through the entire thing. He's better, and we could list off all the ways that Jesus is better. And you know what? He's better because he is God, and there's nobody better than God. And so uh, let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, and we'll look at that passage. And I just want you to know that the deity of Jesus is expressed so clearly in these first three verses, but this is not the only place in the Bible that talks about the deity of Jesus. It is everywhere. And yet it is amazing how many times people read the Bible, people study the Bible, and they come to a different conclusion. This week, when we were getting ready to get in our car and leave and come down here, some people came to my door, and we had a discussion about how Jesus is God. He's not a great person. He's not the first created being. He is God Almighty who has always existed. And yet there's people who say they read the Bible, but they come to a different conclusion. So let's read this. And by the way, we talked last week about how um, we don't all have to believe the same things about everything. In fact, this statement is in your constitution. And it's something that's very prominent in our EV free denomination. And it says this, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, in all things, Jesus Christ. I just want you to know that this is an essential. This is not one of the things that we could agree to disagree on. Um, This first point that Jesus is the almighty God, um, That's the difference. Believing that, knowing that, trusting that is the difference between being saved or being not saved, being a Christian, not being a Christian, being on the narrow road that leads to eternal life or being on the wide road that leads to destruction. This is one of those things that there can be no variation on in the body of Christ because if there is, then you're not in the body of Christ. And so Jesus is God Almighty. Let's look at this. The first three verses. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, 
God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Um, Jesus is God, and Jesus is how God communicated to us. Do you remember John 1.1? It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You know, it's interesting that Jesus is called the Word. One of the things that people do sometimes, they study the Old Testament, and they say, where did Jesus appear in the Old Testament? And some of those places, um, there's a a reference to the angel of the Lord. And uh, the angel of the Lord, for example, spoke to Samuel's, I'm sorry, Samson's parents um, and announced the coming of Samson. And so there's all these places where we'll say, okay, I think that was Jesus. I had a a professor when I was in seminary who whenever um, prophets would talk about how um, God spoke to them and it would say, and then the word of the Lord came too. And I had a seminary professor that said, I think that was Jesus going and communicating to the prophets. Jesus is called the word. In the beginning was the word. He is God's communication to us. And when he was here on this earth, he communicated not only with his words, but by who he was. So Jesus is the best communication of God. He is the owner and the creator of everything. Like think about the significance of that. That everything that was made was made by Jesus. And, and Colossians 1.16 tells us that everything that was made, not only did he make it, but it was made for him. It was made for him and it was made by him. So Jesus is, he's the owner of everything. He is the radiance of God's glory. In the, in the video, it talked about the rays of the sun, that Jesus is the very rays of God's glory. And he is the exact representation of God's nature. Um, Jesus is God. And that's talking about Colossians 2, 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Now, when you think about Jesus being um, coming to this earth, and it says in Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus humbled himself by taking the form of a bondservant. So what happened with Jesus is he never gave up any of his divine attributes. Jesus knew everything um, in his deity and his nature, who he was. Um, he, he never gave up any of the attributes of God. And, and that, by the way, is a mystery. It's something we'll never be able to wrap our, our minds around because Philippians also tells us that he clothed himself in human, humanity. So Jesus was perfectly human, but at the same time, God. So think about that. Luke chapter 2 says that Jesus grew in wisdom. So he was growing mentally. In stature, 
he was growing physically and in favor with God and men. How does God grow in favor with God? Like that is a mystery. But think about this. Jesus is a little baby. Mary has to feed him, take care of him, carry him around. And while she's doing that, and while he's existing and functioning as a little baby, he is at the same time holding the entire universe together. Like th those are mysteries. Those are things that we'll never understand. But Jesus was always fully God. And when he came to this earth, he gave up none of his de deity. Um, but he clothed himself in humanity. And he did that for a reason. If you'll look at um, this, it says... Um, after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus came for the purpose of dying on the cross for our sins, making a way for us to be purified, to accomplish something that nobody and nothing could ever accomplish. And in Hebrews, it says that the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. You know, there are people who, they believe that salvation in the Old Testament was fundamentally different than it is in the New Testament. And the truth is that salvation has always been through faith in Christ. Hebrews 11 gives this example of faith. And who are the people that are mentioned in there? Are they Old Testament believers or New Testament believers? They're Old Testament believers, right? So in the Old Testament, people were saved through faith in the coming Messiah. And now we are saved by faith in the Messiah who came. So salvation has always been through faith in Christ. In the Old Testament, they didn't know what he was, would look like. They didn't know all those details. They knew somebody was coming. And in the New Testament, we look back at the historical Jesus. We know the details of his life. We know how he died. And so our faith is in the Christ who came. And Jesus resolved it. You know why sacrifices stopped? See, sacrifices were a picture of what Jesus would accomplish when he came. And so when he came and he made that sacrifice, we don't sacrifice anymore. We're not under the Old Testament law. But we can still read and go, okay, this is how serious sin is. This is what it takes to be saved. And we learn so much from the Old Testament about the coming Messiah and about Jesus I was uh, working out in the gym this week, and I saw somebody wearing a T-shirt. And uh, this is what it is. I don't know if you can see what that is. I'll give you a second to look at it. It's all the superheroes. And Jesus is sitting around and telling, and t t telling them, and that's how I saved the world. Jesus is not, a, he's not something made up. He's not a superhero. He is the ultimate power of the universe. He is God himself, and he did what nobody else could ever do. And so Jesus is God. Now, the application for that, something to consider, is um, there are warning passages all throughout the book of Hebrews, a bunch of warning passages. And one of the warnings is that if Jesus is God's ultimate communication, we need to make sure that we listen to him, that we're paying attention to the things that he says. And so we need to make sure that we do that. Here's the second thing, and I love this. Uh, these, these verses, 
there are a lot of really popular passages in, in the book of Hebrews that people memorize, that people recite, that people refer to. These next two passages, I got to tell you, these are the ones I think about most as I approach the book of Hebrews. Um, Jesus is the God-man. He is a merciful Savior. I want you to consider uh, Jesus' nature as God, and I want you to think about this. Um, in Exodus, it says, it says this, Now when all the people saw the thunder, the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet, the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off. And they said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Okay, so just so you all know, that's Jesus, this, this holy God that is terrifying. And when the people of Israel, when God gave them a slight um, perspective of who he was, it was terrifying. The book of Hebrews talks about how because of Jesus, we boldly enter God's throne. But look at this. Chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. It says, um, For surely it is not angels that Jesus helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of people. For because he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, First Peter tells us um, in, in talking about salvation that angels are mystified by salvation. They long to look into these things. Have you ever thought about this? So Satan rebels against God and leads a third of all the angels to rebel against God. And so when angels sin, how does God respond? He creates hell. Uh, Matthew, um, Matthew 25 tells us that hell was created for the devil and his angels. So angels sin... God makes hell. And then he creates men. And when men sin, God says, okay, I'm going to take on humanity. I'm going to go live a perfect, a perfect life. I am going to suffer and die. And what Jesus went through physically is unimaginable. But I just want you to know that the thing that I think Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane was sweating drops of blood over, I don't think it was because of what he was going to go through physically. It was because when he was put on the cross, God punished him for the sins, for all of our sins, the sins of mankind. Now think about what that is. An eternity separated from God times every single person who would live. And that's what Jesus faced when he went to the cross. And that is just amazing. And angels, that doesn't make sense to them because that's not what happened when they sinned. And it tells us that Jesus did this so he would be able to experience and feel what we felt and come to our aid Jesus is merciful, he is sympathetic, he is compassionate 
toward us. He knows how we feel. He's our great high priest. We have access to him all the time. Uh, Jesus allows us to enter God's presence, to boldly enter God's presence. He's the propitiation, which is a, a big word for the satisfaction for our sins. Because of Jesus, the, the, the barrier between us and God has been removed. That's what Jesus did for us. When it says he suffered, that means he experienced it. He went through it. He lived life the way we live it. Now, this is hard. It is so hard to say things about Jesus that are true. Um, because, you know, you could say things and, and a lot of times people will talk about Jesus' humanity, but they talk about it in a way that removes his deity. Or they talk about his humanity in a way that makes it not real humanity. And that's why there's all these debates and councils throughout church history and people being condemned because, because they remove either his deity or his, or his humanity. And Jesus was fully God and he was fully human. But you, you want to know something? When, when Jesus lived here on earth, he lived life the same way you and I live it. And, and I know for myself, for many years, I didn't feel like Jesus was my example. I, I used to think... Yeah, I mean, Jesus, yes, he's our example. We're supposed to be like Jesus. But how can I do that? Because he's God and I'm not God. I'm a person. And so I would think, well, I want Paul to be my example. I want Peter to be my example. Like I thought more about the, the men in Scripture because I felt an identification with them because we were human. And the thing to remember is that Jesus is human. And when he lived, he experienced and he suffered with all the same things that you and I suffer. He knows how we feel. And that's why he comes to our rescue. So I don't know if you've ever had a talk like that with your kids. Um, one, one, <laughs> one time I was addressing something in one of my kids' lives, and they just said to me, Dad, you don't understand what it's like to be in junior high. <laughs> and just in my conversation with them, um, I was being reminded this week of some of the things I said. I taught youth ministry in a college, and I, I guess I said to one of my kids, what do you mean I don't understand? I actually have a job in a college where I teach people about you. Um, but you know what I told, what I told uh, my kid? As I said, uh, I've actually, believe it or not, I was a kid, and one time I was in junior high. And so these things you say I don't understand, um, I understand them because I lived through it. But guess what? You're not a parent yet. So if there's somebody in this relationship that doesn't understand, it's you. <laughs> Something for us to remember, Jesus lived life, and he understands. Um, the, the, uh, the next passage, too, if we look at this, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16 it says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. So Jesus never compromised. He never sinned. He lived a perfect life. But here's the thing with temptation. When you're tempted, the moment you give in, what happens to the temptation? It's gone. Jesus experienced more temptation than you and I will ever experience because he never gave in. When he was tempted, he bore the full weight 
of temptation. He never broke. And so Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. And then it says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Um, Have you ever like sinned and felt like I can't read my Bible because I sinned? Or have you ever felt like I don't want to go to church because I feel like I've defiled myself, I've sinned, I've done these things I shouldn't do. And, and, and there's this internal thing where you want, to, you want to stay away from God. You want to try to get away from God because you just feel like, oh man, it's, you know, God's holy and I'm a sinner. And, and have you ever felt that way? Now think about, um, think about your parenting. If, uh, if one of my kids, and, and we don't love our kids the way God loves us, we don't. But I just think about if my, one of my kids is ever struggling with something, if one of my kids ever blows it, ever does something that they should never do, you want to know what I want them to do? I want them to come find me and say, Dad, man, I'm in trouble. This is what happened. This is what I did. I don't want them to run away and hide. I want them to come to me and, and let me help you work this out. Let me help you. It's, it is never too late um, to, to stop going down the wrong direction and start going the right direction. No matter what happens, it's never too late. I want my kids to come to me if, if something ever goes wrong in their life. And sometimes they don't feel like they can. But if they knew my heart, they'd know they can. And that's what Jesus is like. When we sin, think about this. You know, um, we have a tendency sometimes to be judgmental, right? Ever talk, talked about somebody or seen somebody do something and you're kind of like, I can't believe they did that. That is so terrible. I would never do something like that. Well, it always seems worse when somebody else does it than when we do it. Um, but a lot of times we're judgmental and what I think can happen is we import our judgmental attitude toward people and God's judgmental attitude toward us. When the truth is God knows how you feel. He wants you to come to him in repentance. Think about Adam and Eve after they ate from the, from the, uh, the tree. They were hiding and God went and found them. Jesus is a merciful high priest. I just want you to know that there's wrong theology in a bunch of religions based on the idea that Jesus is a harsh taskmaster. Like there are people that, that they go to they go to his mom because they feel like, oh, Jesus and God, they're hard on you. But Mary, she'll care about you. So even though Jesus is pretty hard on you, just talk to Mary because nobody can say no to their mother. And so if Jesus' mom comes to him and says, hey, you know, this, this guy's in trouble. Um, you got to be, don't be so hard on him. Well, Jesus will listen to his mom. Uh, my, Michelle's dad, um, you know, Italian family, and her dad, growing up, was an altar boy, and, and he was telling me about how uh, the nuns used to tell him, hey, look, if you can't get in, don't worry. Mary will take you around the back. She'll let you in the back door. <laughs> Here's the thing you need to know. We don't need anybody to stand between us and Jesus. There is nobody who has a softer heart toward you than Jesus has. And so when you sin, he's not saying, oh, man, I can't believe that. That's so ridiculous. He's not hard on you. 
He is soft-hearted. He died for you. He went to the cross to pay the price for your sins so that you could be right with him. So the next time you blow it, don't run away from Jesus. Run to him. And that's what I do. The third thing is this, that yes, Jesus is our merciful high priest, but we can never lower Jesus. He doesn't love us because he doesn't care about sin. He loves us anyway. And we need to know that Jesus is a holy, righteous judge. And we'll quickly just read a couple verses here. This first one is right after uh, Hebrews 4.12, one of those verses everybody memorizes. Talks about how God's word is sharper and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And then this is the, the verse that comes right after that. It says, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. See, we're going to give an account to Jesus, but I, I want to encourage you. Hebrews chapter 4, the verses on Jesus being our merciful high priest. Guess what? Those come right after this. The next verse is, hey, you're going to give an account to Jesus. He sees everything and he knows everything. But he's, our, he's your merciful high priest. And so, um, but there's a sobering reality to the fact that Jesus sees and knows everything in our life. And we are to live a holy life before him. Hebrews 10, 28 this is a, the video said that there are some passages in Hebrews that will make you uncomfortable and that they were intended to make you uncomfortable. They were. He said that um, they're not meant to scare you. I don't know. There's some scary stuff in there. It's not scary because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, but there's a sobering reality within this. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28. It's up here. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who's trampled underfoot the Son of God, who has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? Um, verse 30. Okay, it is up there. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. What a terrifying thought to stand in the presence of God. When you read Revelation, great white throne judgment, it just talks about how everybody is going to stand before God, the rich and the great. See, there's people in this world that they feel like, oh, I'm rich. I own all kinds of things. And, and maybe they feel better than a homeless person. And you want to know something, it doesn't matter if you're homeless or if you're the richest person on earth. When your day's end, you are going to stand before God. And if you don't have Jesus to stand between you and God, you will be undone. And so this is a sobering reality, both for believers and for unbelievers. And this is something that should motivate us to help people see Jesus, to share the gospel uh, 2 Corinthians 5.11 says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. You know, this Easter season, uh, we need to make sure that we're not ashamed of Jesus. Uh, we, need to be, we need to highlight Jesus, not hide him. When you go to your friends, when you're talking to people, people need Jesus. And I would just say, who wouldn't want a relationship with Jesus? 
Who wouldn't? That's how I felt after I became a Christian. It's like for so long I didn't see Jesus for who he was. And Jesus opened up my eyes and I saw this. And I was just like, just put me in, coach. Send me in. I, I, could, I could do this. Just let me talk to anybody and I'll help them see Jesus through my eyes. You're not seeing Jesus right. Let me tell you about who he is. And that's what, man, I, I went and talked to everybody. I remember I talked to one of my best friend, sat down, talked to him. I thought, I'm going to make you see this right. And after that conversation, never wanted to be around me again. But <laughs> that needs to be our attitude. We need to recognize that people need Jesus. We need to help people see Jesus through our eyes. And we need to see Jesus through the lens of Scripture. And so um, I'm going to be praying for you all, and you guys could be praying for me. But the best thing is not to just communicate something that somebody told you. The best thing is when you communicate something that you believe and that you know in your heart. It's not just factual information. It's a heart desire, a relationship with the Lord that you express toward other people. And that's what we're praying for opportunities for. And that's what we're trusting that the Lord will do over this Easter season. And we need to be praying, not just for this church, but for every church. There are people who only go to church on Easter and Christmas. And we need to be praying that the Lord will open their eyes the way he opened Lydia's eyes. Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you know us fully. And yet you love us. You love us anyway. And Lord, you sent your son to die on the cross. Jesus, you died for us so that we could boldly enter your presence. God, I pray that each of us would live holy, righteous lives, not because we're trying to be good enough, not because we're trying to get into heaven, but because we love you and we want to be like you. And we know that when we fail, that's not a reason to run away. That's a reason to run right back to you. And God, I just pray that you would bless this church family with a great love for you that reflects itself in a love for people. In your name, amen.